If you told me that you were from the masters at finding intelligent attitudes, I would think that you just got off a debate club or something. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash knowledge. Speaking of knowledge, boss man, you've been dropping some knowledge bombs at the Tropical MBA blog. On Tuesday, you put up a post. It's at tropicalmba.com slash entrepreneurmobile. And it is one of my favorite posts at uh, Tropical MBA of all time. I laughed. I cried. I laughed some more and I learned a little, a little something. And I had a good time with that. It was cool to see everybody's entrepreneur mobile up on the blog. So thank you, everybody who sent in photos. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to write, as you know, Dan. That's a uh, that's a subject that's close to my heart. Get a couple beers in me, and I will I will pound that into your skull. So I decided to write it out, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I've been cooking up another one about my travels through Airbnb. So hopefully we'll get that one up there on the blog sometime soon too. You know, everybody has their red button issues, Ian. You know, the kind of things you don't want to bring up around the dinner table after the second bottle of wine comes out. And I think it's yours. It's it's probably a lease on a Lexus. That would be the issue that gets to you. First off, how much interest you... Second off, why did you get a Lexus? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how many of those conversations I get into. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys stick around to the end of this episode, we got a new feature. It's called Ian Thinks It's Going to Change Everything. And uh, Ian's going to give a short rant on what he thinks is going to change everything this week. But this week, what we're talking about in the uh, core of the episode, Ian, is you know last week we put out the call, the email challenge for listeners to email us about what they're going to be doing for their clients, how you're going to be doing it differently than other providers, what they're going to deliver, and the price they plan to charge. And I saw a lot of great emails, and I saw a lot of ones that needed some improvement. So I want to talk about the biggest fallacy that I've seen, and we're going to call it the knowledge gap fallacy, which I think is a fallacy that relates a lot to service providers and consulting providers, which is kind of what we were talking about with the 1,000 true fans, 100 true customers, 10 true clients. Uh, And we're going to talk about the five biggest mistakes that we saw in these emails. So that's what we're going to get on about this week. But first, we got a phone call from Mitch Bowler from Pencil Kings. Let's give it a listen. Hey, Dan and Ian. I just wanted to give you guys a shout. Uh, It's Mitch from inside the D.C. at PencilKings.com. And I took your advice. My guests were number one, at least in the uh, new and noteworthy section. And we're trying to push our way up on the uh, general new and noteworthy. So Thanks again, guys, for the push, and I really appreciate the podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, buddy, Mitch, congratulations on launching the new show and getting to new and noteworthy. Anybody is a creative or interested in the creative pursuits, as a lot I know a lot of our listeners are, do subscribe to the Pencil Kings podcast. All right, Ian. Yeah, Mitch has got a great product. I really like Mitch. We got a chance to hang out in Saigon, so best of luck to you, buddy. Absolutely. All right, Ian, what do you say? Let's just get rolling on to some of the mistakes that we saw in last week's pitch emails.
All right, Ian. So I'm going to call this one the knowledge gap fallacy. So this is one of the, the continual, consistent, biggest mistakes I see when people are trying to conceptualize productized services, consulting offerings, or just services in general. This can even happen with products, but probably more so relates to the productized services and services. It's trying to fill knowledge gaps in the marketplace rather than trying to fill efficiency gaps in the marketplace. Now, this might not be an airtight conceptualization, so let me just give an example of what I'm talking about. As a general example, and what I saw in the emails last week, is that people conceptualizing services would prefer to sell marketing services to a local business rather than selling high-quality PPC reporting, for example, to somebody like Ian. In other words, uh, one move fills a knowledge gap, which is basically selling stuff to people who don't know what they need, right? Like the dentist doesn't know that they need PPC or they don't know how to do it. And so you want to go fill in that knowledge gap where the other move sells efficiency to people who have the infrastructure to properly value it. Okay. There's a lot of reasons that people do this, but I think like this is the biggest one that I saw. So I just wanted to highlight it right out of the blue is that I think if you want to kind of like too long, didn't listen to this episode, the biggest thing is like out of the gate, you need to have the confidence to focus on the premium end of the marketplace. And we're going to talk about some ways that you can sort of mindset your way into that in this episode. Any initial thoughts on that before we get into these five facets of the fallacy, Ian? Yeah, Dan, I think you said not so much with products, but I think that this does happen with products. And this happens in the discovery phase of products or in the initial phase of a product. And and we have done this plenty of times before you go out and you try and build a product that there's no need for. So I think it absolutely happens in products when you're trying to discover what that product is. Okay, so let's let's talk about like the five facets of it and maybe why some of these ideas come up. And we're going to rank them in order of importance. So the number one problem that I saw, Ian, so this is number one, would be personal confidence. It's having the personal confidence and mindset in the ability to deliver to high-end clients. Look, as a small and agile entrepreneur, that's your competitive advantage. So you should always, always aim premium unless you're super experienced and know something we don't know, or you got a bunch of money sitting around that you can maybe pursue more dark corners of the lower end market. I think the mindset issue here is that people feel like they can only sell to people that know less than them. And I think that this is just false because it's it's almost like it might be a fallacy in and of itself, Ian, is that, look, you don't know more about that person's business than they do. And if you think that, maybe walking into that interaction could hurt your chances of making a sale. Let me give you an example of Salesforce.com. I remember when I was going through the RFP process with Salesforce with a company I was working with many years ago. And look, Salesforce.com is generally regarded as like, you know, the best CRM in the world, this and that. But those people did not know my business, my sales requirements as much as I did right now. Of course, when they say to me, like, here's the benefit of like what we can do for you. I saw that and I was like, because I knew my business, I understood how powerful it could be for me. So I think a lot of people, aspiring service providers, they have this mindset like that they got to be able to like have a complete knowledge domination of their client. It's just not the case. When I look at our best contractors, none of them came in being able to do precisely what we wanted them to do better than we could do it ourselves. But that's not why we hired them. We hired them to take the burden off of us. We hired them to learn our process and to improve it as they went along. 
So, I mean, even when you bring on a, a software like Salesforce, you're going to take a few steps back the first few weeks to get up and running. But it's a long-term decision, and great Good businesses, good clients make those types of decisions for the long term. And those are the kinds of clients that you want who are willing to grow with you, not someone who's seeking you. Businesses like, say, local businesses is a very common example. They're not set up to value services from contractors because they don't already have that contractor. They tend to use contractors opportunistically. And so, yeah, you know, you come in with the content marketing or the big pitch and they're like, wow, this could be a great opportunity for my business. You do it for them for three or four months and they're like, you know what, that did work a little bit, but I'm sick of spending four grand a month with you. So you're out. Right, right. Or you're the dentist, you know, and you figure, well, if I do all this content marketing, what am I going to do? Am I going to build another wing in my office? Like, I just don't have enough chairs. I don't have enough dentists. Like, maybe the best thing for me in the world isn't to scale. And so, you know, a lot of kids, they'll come in and they'll try to sell these services to dentists or to these local businesses. Maybe that's not even what they really need. And I think... Like what you're saying, Dan, is like going to these businesses and like assuming you know what they need is the wrong thing to do. Like working as a dentist for 20 years and then selling services to dentists, that's like the right thing to do. There isn't necessarily a gap there, right? I think the bottom line in terms of confidence is like forget about how confident you are. Like the way to win is to have the best product and focus on, you know, don't let your confidence of like how much you know get in the way. Instead, try to just say, look, I'm going to work towards having the premium end offering here. If I'm writing blog posts for people or if I'm doing SEO for them, like I'm going to be the best and I'm going to find a way to get there. And of course, I might not be that for the first few clients, but that's the road I'm on. That's how I'm going to position it. End of story. Make sense? Yeah, I'll give you a more concrete example, I guess, Dan. The portable bar company, we had, in the beginning, we had no idea who was buying these products. What we did know was that we wanted to build the best bars. And so we came out with the initial offering, and it was, you know, it was close or whatever. And then the customer started to tell us exactly what they want. So, you know, when we when we first started to pick up the phone, these customers knew 10 times more than we knew about portable bars, but yet we were selling portable bars. So, And I'll give you another concrete example. I know we, we, we use similar examples a lot on this show. We don't get around too much, boss man. But, you know, let's talk about John McIntyre and the first autoresponder that he wrote for us. I think it was the first one he ever wrote. I, I guess if John and I would have had an autoresponder writing contest at that moment, I think I probably could have served the TMBA audience more appropriately at that point. But the point is, is that John wasn't getting in a head screw up about that, right? He was just trying to deliver for the, the specs that we had for him. And it wasn't going to be very long before Mr. McIntyre writes a couple autoresponders, starts talking to a couple other people who know their businesses better than he knows them. And all of a sudden, he's put himself in the center of the marketplace and has the best information and now can outclass anybody. Exactly. And so going back to the Salesforce point, Dan, I think you know John coming in was like, hey, Dan's a busy guy. What he needs is for me to write the autoresponder. And I'm going to learn how to write a better autoresponder than he can. I know he can write a better one now, but I'm going to write a better one eventually. And that's the same thing with Salesforce. You know, you like come in and you're like, hey, I know you guys know how to treat your customers right, but what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're going to make that easier for you. It's not like we're just going to come in and, and, and revolutionize your business. Like if you don't already have the systems in place or at least the knowledge or ideas of how to treat your customers, well, then you're a bonehead and no piece of software is going to help you with that. 
you know, as an entrepreneur who's running a successful business, you're always going to be in a position where you know there's there's things that you do really well that you're not doing because you can only do so many things. So am I willing to pay a consultant to do something, say maybe 20% at the efficiency that I could do it myself if I sat down the first few times? Absolutely, I'm willing to do that because I'm going to work that contractor up to speed, up to standard, and I'm saving tons of time. So I think it's just a matter of recognizing the real value you're providing to higher end clients is saving them time and like this whole idea of having knowledge domination uh, can really lead people astray because it leads them down market right you're looking down instead of looking up market where you need to go so this is related to our second point Ian let's move on to that which is demanding to give market legibility Uh, we're going to link over to a great post on ribbon farm about this idea and you touched on this earlier Ian we'll call it paternalistic consulting and this is trying to create something Say, use the dentist as the example. There might be a reason why that dentist isn't currently investing in online marketing services that you don't understand. And by going in there and saying, you know, every business can benefit from small business marketing on the web. Every business needs to have an opt-in form. This is like a sense of legibility that you have about the marketplace that could just be plain wrong. There might be intelligences there that you're not picking up on, like maybe there's not enough profitability in that business, or maybe that person isn't an entrepreneur, and therefore that marketplace doesn't invest. We've seen that in marketplaces, Ian, where businesses aren't prepared to invest, even if there's ROI on it. Yeah, yeah. I think like back in the good old days, Dan, when I was doing a little bit of internet marketing stuff, you know, and I I was starting to understand this stuff, like I would just walk around a business and I'd be like, bro, you don't even know what I could do to your business. I could totally blow it up, right? But like, I was totally not looking at it from the point of of the guy that ran the business. It's like, well, what are, what are his intentions? You know, what is he trying to do? And so now I think it's like it's a lot easier to like put out content and have these people come to you. Yeah, you know, if is if they come to you because you've put out some piece of content, then they're interested. You know, but to like approach these people cold, it's like it's so hard, man, because you just don't know what their intentions are. And by the time you have an hour long conversation with them, well, then you. You've lost a bunch of money if they don't buy from you. Yeah, and the example that Venkat gives in his article, one of the examples that's really poignant is uh, in the early 20th century, people got all hot about like these idealized cities. And so they'd create these like urban developments that like were supposed to be, people would be so happy. You know, I'd come down the elevator and I'd jump on the swing set and I'd get into the bus and everything. And, and it turns out that people <laughs> people got depressed living in these cities, you know? And, and it was because that the urban planners they didn't understand that there was these deep, innate intelligence in the way that people organize themselves in cities that couldn't be fully encapsulated by their theories. And that's going to be the same thing with your all your marketing quick start formula stuff. You know, you just can't go around to every barbershop in the country, apply the quick start marketing formula. Maybe the barbershops don't just give a crap about that. And maybe there's a good reason for it that you don't know about. So the strategy instead is to focus on people who do know about it, who are benefiting from it and figure out a way to become a part of that. Let's talk about point number three, Ian, and we'll call it the friction factor. And I think this is related to the velocity of cash flow in the marketplace that you're looking for. And I want to give an example of this uh, just to make it concrete. But I saw a lot of examples of this in the emails that people are focusing on high friction. And I don't mean high friction in terms of sales contact. I mean in terms of operational difficulty in order to get and give value to the marketplace. One of the most beautiful examples I've seen about this on the internet over the past half a decade since we've been doing this stuff is what Chris Ducker did with Virtual Staff Finder. So 
Virtual Staff Finder is a business that you can pay Chris Ducker three, 400 bucks, and he finds you a VA by means of giving you three to four qualified resumes that then you can hire and then go get value from that candidate. What a lot of people are doing, what I'm seeing in the emails, is people are trying to solve the same problem with a much more friction or low velocity model. And that would be traditional outsourcing. That would be saying, not only am I going to find that candidate for you, but I am going to manage them. I'm going to make sure that you communicate well with them. I'm going to make sure. And you can just, you can sense the profitability melting away. And the reason this is more important nowadays is that the internet, you know, I'll quote Mr. Seth Godin on this, it gives special priority to these mini monopolies. So rather than having a broad value offering, Chris Docker was brilliant and he found what's the highest velocity point on this value delivery spectrum? I'm going to focus all of my energy right there on that point. And hey, my, my marketplace is the whole world. So I can find enough customers to grow a great business just right there. I don't need to focus on extracting all this painful, low velocity value down the value chain. You know, it's a, it's a version of monster.com, right? It's like, hey, here's the resumes of the qualified people that clicked on this. No, we're not going to hire them for you. No, we're not going to manage their health care. You know, no, no, we're not going to do all this stuff. We're going to, we're going to provide you with the highest value thing that we can do, which is find this guy on the other side of the earth and connect them with you. It's, it's brilliant for sure. That's it. So it's looking at your business model and asking yourself, what's the most elegant focused area of value here? And how can I just jam on that one thing? Number four, Ian, I think is understanding and looking at the overall growth of the market. And again, a lot of these trends that I'm seeing in the inbox, they kind of have the same fallacy to them. So I saw a lot of people saying like they would look at distressed industries and they would want to do something for them because they felt like they could do something for them, right? Like the problem is so apparent. And you gave a great example of the bicycle shop. Sure. The bicycle shop and a lot of brick and mortar shops are great examples of these. You know, the corner bicycle shop, I went down there and got a bunch of cables and stuff. It's like 50 bucks. It was like, geez, unbelievable. I can go on Amazon and buy this stuff for $10 and then I can pop over to YouTube and I can watch how to install this stuff on my bike. So, you know, the guys down the street, they're they're screwed. You know, they better start putting out content about how to fix your own bike. And, you know, those aren't the kinds of businesses that are going to be around for a long time. Think about that when you're approaching these businesses. Think about that when you're developing software and products for these businesses. You know, are you really going to keep this industry around with your innovation? Or is it just going to go by the wayside? And start to think about, you know, growth markets and who who's not going by the wayside. Most of these people that are located in strip malls, they're going to be gone. If, if all these small businesses that are making it work successful, they are indeed going to YouTube, as Ian said, well, then you should be going to YouTube there. And that's where your service should exist, not trying to save the ship from sinking, so to speak. And, and I think a lot of these can be summed up by this metaphor, Ian, which I would like to say, as an entrepreneur, I think you can be more successful if you're the matador and not the bull. So what matadors do, Ian, if you haven't been to a bullfight yet, I haven't been to one either. It sounds kind of nasty, actually. I have But they... I don't really want to... Nah, I'm not really into killing animals so much. I mean, I like eating them, but not killing them. I mean, does that make me a hypocrite? I don't think so. Agreed. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. A matador is a person who holds up a shiny red cloth and induces forces that are much larger than them to move in certain directions, to chase things, to go in directions, to guide forces that are already existent places. Whereas a bull 
chases shiny objects with an incredible amount of energy. Thinking that you can just go in there and push the world to your will, I think the best entrepreneurs are the ones that are sensitive and see the trends happening and just sort of usher them along like an elegant matador. Finally, Ian, the fifth problem that I'm seeing is middleman business. Anything that puts you in the middle of the value equation and eventually you're going to get squeezed out. Now, a lot of times middleman philosophies are great for getting short-term cash flow. So I'm all about that. You know, if you want to buy a service from one person and sell it to another person, that's cool. But know that over the long term, you're eventually going to get sort of squeezed out of these kinds of things. So it's just, it makes sense to have a plan to push yourself to the edge of, of the value chain. Yeah, agreed on the middleman, Dan. I think that the that the internet is getting more and more efficient as we as we know. So it's like if you see an opportunity for technology or the internet to squeeze you out, it's probably going to happen. It might not happen tomorrow, but eventually. Well, maybe just let me take a shot at like the internet marketing consultant. I think that's a sort of a, a information arbitrage position that I think, you know, if you're an information marketing consultant, maybe it's time to start thinking about what kind of productized service you're going to be moving towards or what kind of product you're going to be moving towards. Because being an information marketing consultant, you know, if you're somebody who has the ability, like a great marketing consultant, to tell the story of a brand, that is getting more expensive every day because attention is getting more difficult to command in all industries across the board. Now, the simultaneous trend is happening where products are becoming cheaper to manufacture all across the board. And so as this kind of information agent, the arbitrage person in the middle, the marketing consultant, you're put in a more precarious situation than you might have been 10 or 15 years ago. Whereas like, if you really truly can develop a super compelling marketing campaign, that probably, that campaign is more expensive to produce than the product with its, that it supports. That could very well, you know, more and more be becoming the case. Does that make sense? So start to think about those trends and how it impacts your positioning in the marketplace. Absolutely, man. That's, a, that's an interesting turn for sure. Man, I'll tell you what, we are just absolutely getting deeply philosophical here. Hopefully these things can be useful to you and how you're thinking about your business. Thank you to everybody who emailed us last week. Manny, and those were some long coffee jam sessions, but I actually felt great about it. It feels good to just reach out to other entrepreneurs and see what they're up to and maybe bounce around some ideas. Absolutely, man. All right, boss man, it's time for rap and reviews. A lot of people saying they just come here for the rap music. What do you got for us this week? Yeah, buddy. So last week, uh, we talked about DITC. I want to introduce another crew. This is probably a little bit more well-known crew, but I think they're noteworthy. And this is Junior Mafia. Mafia standing for Masters at Finding Intelligent Attitudes. As many of you know, the Notorious B.I.G. headed up this crew, and there were some less infamous characters behind it. So definitely check those guys out. But this is Get Money. Ian, do you know what it is? Like, is that called an anagram or an Anna something? Or when you do that with the mafia, what is the freaking point of representing masters at finding intelligent attitude? If you told me you were from the junior mafia, I would think that you're a badass mofo. If you told me that you were from the masters at finding intelligent attitudes, I would think that you just got off a debate club or something. I mean, what? That's why, he, obviously, <laughs> that's why they have to code it with mafia. I mean, these guys were in the Bronx, man, growing up hard. You can't say masters at finding intelligent attitudes. Come on. 
Hey, listener, Patrick just launched a really cool Indiegogo project. What's up with that, man? You've been talking to Patrick about this. Yeah, Patrick uh, Ditcher just introduced a interesting product that I think is worth uh, taking a look at. We'll link you to that Indiegogo. It's basically a passport protector. What I didn't know about passports and what Patrick found out the hard way is uh, he got rejected from a flight, which he was taken overseas because his passport was essentially looking haggard. Rough. And I guess this is like a big issue. Uh, one that I wasn't aware of because my passport looks kind of haggard and I haven't got denied yet, but apparently it's a true thing. So Patrick has devised this little pocket that you put your passport in to preserve cool. and make it look good. Yeah, yeah buddy. my pa- I know what you mean. My passport looks like it's been doing work. You know what I mean? Daryl writes, <laughs> you and Ian are smart, and I think the transition to the Tropical NBA format is a good one. It's less restrictive. It's like Gorilla Business Radio on the run. Radio transmissions from the business front. Tell me about it, buddy. I've been dealing with power outages here in the jungle all week long. Uh, I found this on the web written by Nate from FinchProServices.com. Says the Tropical MBA podcast, despite sounding a little too lifestyle designy, the TMBA podcast is pound for pound the most dense and paradigm shifting podcast that I listen to. Woo! That's the comment of the week. Thank you. Thank you, Nate, for saying uh, we're a little bit funny and to be sure the experience in manufacturing and running several businesses with a partner in different niches is mind-boggling. That comment mind-boggles me. I'm loving it. All right. Stop reading and subscribe to this podcast now. Hmm. I'm not sure if he's talking to me, Matt. I've been working like crazy between my... (laughs) day job while trying to make things happen in my newly formed company. Luckily, I'm drawing a lot of inspiration and energy from Dan and Ian over at the Tropical NBA Podcast. I highly recommend checking out their podcast if you're interested in hearing. You hear that, guys? He highly recommends it. Some very thought-provoking and actionable items about building your business. That's what we do. Thank you, Matt. The title would seem to indicate that Dan and Ian focus only on the tips for those of us entrepreneurs who'd like to be location independent. However, that's not the case. It's not the case. I'm finding it extremely helpful. Dan, can I can I just in, interject something right here? Yeah. Two comments in a row that are complaining about palm trees. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just not hearing that. There's certain feedback that I'm not oh, willing to man. listen to. Scott D in NYC Woo! says, I look forward to this every week. Speaking of NYC, ain't no palm trees there, but I'll be visiting you, your fine city, Scott, very soon. Thank you for the five-star review. It's the truth by the fittest vegan in Canada. It's real and actionable advice straight from the trenches. Awesome podcast. Epic podcast, Michelle Clickenbeard. Wow, that's epic last name. Dan and Ian are the original gangsters of business. Man, that means we're getting old, boss, man. If you want to learn how to run a business, start here. Thank you for going to that clunky iTunes interface, listening to our quite, I would say, graphic rap music music bed and for uh, giving your shouts for the tmba podcast all right ian finally before we leave it's a new segment called ian claims it's gonna change everything which deeply cracks me up for some reason because you're the guy if anybody that knows what's gonna change everything next what's gonna change everything this week well, I don't know about that. That is a pretty funny intro, though. And this kind of uh, segs from our, our fifth point, which is the middleman. So a lot of you guys have probably been reading, and Alibaba is, is, is filing for their IPO. It's huge. And everybody's talking about the financial side of this. And I think it's like worth mentioning the, the other side of this, which is the actual impact that it's going to have on the internet and the marketplace. 
Another thing that came out this week was there was a there was an article about Amazon and kind of like this sleepy division that they're they're kind of being quiet about, which is basically industrial products. So it's like Granger on Amazon. Yeah. And the interesting thing about both of these things, which I think is true and that we found in our niches, Dan, is that industrial goods more and more are getting sold on the internet and less and less through these middlemen. And I think that that's going to continue to be a trend. With the IPO that's happening over at Alibaba, here's the interesting thing that I think is going to happen. Yeah, let's get, cut to the point. Here's the interesting, the interesting thing is that all these China manufacturers are going to sell direct to Kathy and Joe in Boise, Idaho. That's correct. Right? That's and this is something that I've been talking about for a long time. Right. And what's going to happen? Me and you are going to be on the streets, man. What are we going to do? We're going to be on the streets. But here's the problem. And here's the solution. <laughs> what you got to do is you got to make sure that you got a real... Have to start a rap band. No, nah, you got you to gotta make sure that you got a real brand, man. And that's one of the ways to protect against um, what's going to happen here. But I do see a bunch of opportunities. One of the opportunities that I've been talking about for a long time is opening up warehousing or at least facilitating warehousing for these guys. So these guys are going to be selling direct from China. And that's important because the Chinese, they're not so good at marketing yet, but they will get good at it. And especially with Alibaba as their platform. Open up that warehouse, man. It's about time. I think the not so good at marketing ship is about ready to leave the harbor, buddy. You know, oh, yeah. They figured out everything else. I'm not concerned about the marketing <laughs> stuff. All right, guys. This one is tropicalmba.com slash knowledge. We thank you for all your lovely comments. Most episodes are getting a lot of interesting feedback and questions, and we love to jump in there and uh, talk to you all. So it's tropicalmba.com slash knowledge. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.